Welcome to the Beyond the Box Horror Podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Coach Ben Tanoff. He's a director of basketball operations at Presbyterian College. Coach, how's it going? It's good. It's good, Dave. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on today. No problem. Coach, want to give yourself a brief introduction to our listeners? Yeah. Uh, so, Ben Tanoff. Um, I'm currently the director of operations at Presbyterian College in Clinton, South Carolina. We compete in the Big South. Uh, this is my first season here, um, and. I kind of been bouncing around college basketball. This is going to be, I want to say year five. Um, I had been a high school coach for a few years in South Carolina, and I got an opportunity um, at the NAIA level. And so I was there for a couple of years. I was a D3 assistant. um, And, you know, I guess you can call it my break. I I got on with uh, Josh Pastner in Georgia Tech. Uh, last season, um, kind of as a part-time support staffy GA, kind of a made-up position. Um, you know, school Power Five schools can do that. They've got the money to just be like, "Hey, we're going to have you do this." Uh, but it was, you know, that was really great, and and turned that into to my first full-time coaching gig here. Um, and you know, we're just about halfway through conference play, um, and and taking things one day at a time. Good stuff. Talk about growing up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yeah, so grew up in Kalamazoo, um, probably most most known for P.J. Fleck and, and rowing the boat with Western Michigan football. Um, but I grew up, grew up a basketball kid, uh, you know, played any chance I could, hoop in the backyard, YMCA, AAU, you name it. Um, and so certainly fell in love with basketball at a pretty young age. But I think for a lot of people where it was, you know, playing, I really sort of went towards the coaching pretty young. My dad was my coach growing up. Um, you know, nothing, nothing fancy. He wasn't like a high school coach or, or anything college-wise. Just he'd coach my friends in AAU ball, coach me and my buddies like in fifth grade YMCA basketball. And uh and so I, I sort of t- talked to him when I was in middle school and I was like, hey, you know, can can the two of us do this? You know, I this this was like our our way of bonding. Um, and so when I was in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade, something like that, uh, the two of us actually coached a second and third grade basketball team in the Kalamazoo YMCA League on Saturday mornings. Um, and And that was kind of where I fell in love with that side of the game, seeing my dad do it uh, and then getting to, you know, start from such a young age. Uh, and I, and I just, you know, I coached throughout high school, worked summer camps, everything like that. Um, and so growing up, really, it was, it was more coaching. Um, there's an AAU program in Southwest Michigan, uh, Camp Darrell Basketball Academy. And a lot of my friends were playing and I kind of, you know, I would follow around the guy who ran the program and the coaches and, and things like that. And, and so that's sort of where my love for the game um, started. I know you ran cross country in college. 
how were you able to get your basketball fix? I know you just finished saying how, you know, yeah, you enjoyed coaching. I'm imagining that you ran cross country in high school. You know, were there any other sports? And then, you know, like I said, you know, how did you get that basketball fix? Yeah. So, so, you know, when I got to high school, my parents, it was kind of like, okay, you're either going to play a sport or get a job. Right. So I was a three sport athlete, cross country in the fall, basketball in the winter track in the spring. Um, love basketball. Like, like loved it. You know, I'd be just wasn't that great at it. Right. You know, I was probably a hundred pounds soaking wet. Um, you know, I, I was a far athletically more talented as a runner. Um, and when I had the opportunity to run in college, just being a collegiate athlete, that was not an opportunity I didn't want to pass up. Um, and so my basketball fix came over the summers. I started doing the summer camp circuit. You know, I in, in the heyday of things, you know, I was working a camp a week. Um, I, I got into things, uh, when Shaka Smart was at VCU, that final four run coincided with my freshman year at Kenyon. And all of a sudden everybody realized that Shaka Smart went to Kenyon. And so I wrote to him, um, and funny enough, UNC Asheville, who we're playing tomorrow, Mike, Mike Morell was his dobo at the time. Um, and that was the first set of camps I, I worked. I worked all his camps at VCU that summer. And then just through the people I met that snowballed into more camps, into more camps, you know, started branching out, working hoop group. And then that turned into, uh, God, why can I even think of it? Um, what a uh, point guard college, right. You know, getting a little more serious and things like that. And so that's, that's how I got my basketball fix in, um, you know, while, while everyone I was going to school with was doing, you know, these different internships, I was, I was working camps and then even over winter break, you know, uh, being a runner for like uh hoop group holiday tournaments, things like that. I'm curious. You talk about running cross country in college. Man, I know those pizza and wings at Hoop Group can't be good for that uh, that athletic <laughs> diet. Yeah, yeah, I uh, it, I definitely caught some people by surprise when you know I'd be waking up to uh, to run every morning at the Hoop Group, right? And these guys, oh man, you're crazy, you're crazy. I'm like, I got to, <laughs> I got to, you know, for your for eating pizza and wings every night. It's like I can't show up to summer camp in August, you know. <laughs> without doing anything but I will say I think it did work to to my advantage you know one thing and and I'm sure we'll get to Pikeville but but one thing that kind of got my foot in the door there as a GA I, I was able to participate in all the preseason condition um, so you know when we were out on the track when we were doing sp sprints in the morning before class things like that coach Wells would would have me be out there as a pace setter or, you know, he would tell me, all right, Ben, you got to go run a six minute mile. And then all the guards knew, all right, I got to be in front of Ben and guys who were, you know, supposed to be hitting 610, 615. They knew how close to me they would have to be. Okay. Nice. What were some of your favorite camps that you worked and were there any other 
coaches you met there that, you know, you still stay in touch with and, you know, really developed a relationship with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got to give a shout out to uh, Andy Farrell and Dayton if we're talking summer camps. Um, if, If there are any ops guys or small college assistants who who are looking for a change to their summer camp routine and schedule, reach out to Andy Farrell at Dayton. He will get back to you as far as like university run summer camps, you know, take hoop group out of it, take five-star point guard college out of it. As far as university college run summer camps, he's incredible. What the, the schedule that they run the things they do, you know, they're not trying to, to do right. You know, basketball summer camps, you've got your three on threes, you're not getting all the different competitions they do. They're not trying to, to cram everything into the day. They do four five, six things and they do them absolutely incredible. So I'd say university of Dayton uh, is, is the first one that comes to mind. Um, another good one back in the day, I worked, the John Thompson uh, JT3 camps at Georgetown. Those were always really well run. Um, Trying to think who his ops guy was there. Uh, He's an assistant at American right now. Uh, Scott uh, Scott Greenman. Yeah, Scott Greenman did a really, really good job running those camps. Um, So I would say those are probably the two that that stick out in my mind right away. Xavier was another good one. Um, I, I would do, I did some when Chris Mack was there. Uh, and, and, you know, to your point about meeting all these different coaches, the still, still stay in touch with a lot of guys, um, especially when I got into the hoop group. Um, I was fortunate enough. I started working camps up in the Northeast. I did Rutgers and Providence. And those guys are who put me in touch with, with the hoop group, uh, you know, back when Mike Rice was at Rutgers, um, all of the, all of his guys were hoop group guys. And so they got me in touch with people there and, and still, still stay in touch with people, uh, to this day. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into it, uh, about how I ended up being here at PC, but one of the, one of the guys who, who took my spot at Radford, he's a guy I grew up with at the hoop group. Um, so it really is nice to, to have been through the fire, so to speak, with a lot of those guys on the summer camp grind and seeing where we all are now. Um, it's, it's nice to, to still have those relationships. No doubt. I'm curious. I, I read you were a two-year captain of the cross-country team. What's the role of a captain in a, what's really an individual sport? Yeah. That, that great, that's a great question. You know, I think with cross country, um, there's, there's some different nuances that go into the sport that, that make it a little bit more team oriented than say track and field. Um, you know, one big thing, uh, in cross country is, is, what's the time gap between, uh, you know, your top runner and your last runner. Um, 
right? You might not be the fastest people out there, but if you can close that gap, uh, you know, with the way they score races, that, that actually plays a big factor into it. And so, you know, as a captain, uh, a lot of it was making sure training groups were doing their jobs. You know, we might have, you know, top three or four guys running together, you know, next set and, and keeping them all focused on, on the bigger picture. You know, you're not, it's not like a track event where you're out there running by yourself. Um, you know, there, there are guys out there on the course, uh, still counting on you. Um, and, and so making sure that everyone really kept that in mind, that they weren't just out there running, running their time. In 2014, you graduate with a degree in mathematics and economics from Kenyon College. How did you land at Pauley's Island, South Carolina from Kenyon? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely not the most traditional route that I've taken. Um, you know, math, econ, I had a bunch of my professors, you know, they wanted me to go take desk jobs in DC or New York. And, you know, I, I still had this love for basketball, still wanted to coach. And, you know, I tried using all the connections that I had built uh, through working summer camps to see, you know, is there a GA spot I can find, you know, is there, you know, a, a, a part-time D3 assistant I can find, something like that. And things weren't really working out. And one of my math professors at Kenyon said, Ben, why don't you uh, send, send an application into this teaching agency? Um, there's this uh, teaching agency, it's called Southern Teachers. Um, and they specifically work with schools in the Southeast. And their whole niche is taking kids fresh out of undergrad who maybe don't have a master's yet and pairing them with private independent schools in the South that wouldn't require a master's degree to get hired. And so I said, okay, great, you know, this is cool. Maybe there's a school I can find where I can be a math teacher and a high school basketball coach. And that's what Pauly's Island provided. Um, I, I, I probably talked to three or four different schools everywhere from Richmond, Virginia, uh, to, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, um, and, and Pauly's Island just ended up being the place that, that felt like the, the right fit. You served as a math teacher, as well as the department chair. What was that experience like? And do you feel that your student teaching prepared you to be a, a full-time educator? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it was really interesting. I, I was, it was a small school. Um, and so, you know, there were two high school teachers, two middle school teachers, um, and sort of being thrown into the fire like that. Uh, it made me learn really quick how to communicate to students with different you know, this student learns this way, this student learns, learns this way. Um, it was, it was great hands-on experience. 
Uh, I am the child of two lifelong educators, one in college, one in high school. And so it's something I certainly was around growing up my entire life. Um, you know, I did some tutoring in college that I think helped prepare me a little bit, but a lot of it was, was trial and error. Okay. You know, for three years, you were the co-head coach for the JV and varsity teams. Talk about that experience and the dynamics of being a co-head coach. Yeah, that was, uh, that was really interesting. So, so when I got to the school, um, they had just gone through a transition where they more or less had cleaned house as far as staff goes and brought in a bunch of young educators, coaches, administrators. Um, and the athletic director there at the time, another young professional, he's a couple years older than me, uh, but sort of hitting it off with him in terms of a, a basketball standpoint is what really sold me on the school. Um, you know, it was, there was a varsity coach there when I got there, but the pitch that he kind of made, it was like, Hey, you know, the two of us can take these JV kids, teach them, really coach them up and, and kind of make it our own thing. You know, we had guys who had maybe never played before. We had guys who were pretty talented, but you know, they were just tiny, right? I think our starting point guard on JV my first year was maybe four, eight. Right. And so it was, it was really, it, it honestly was a lot of fun to, to just sink our teeth into it and, and make it what we wanted. Um, and then after the first year, the other, the varsity coach at the time um, had left and the head of school looked at the AD and, and me and said, okay, guys, here's the keys to the car. You guys run the, the JV and the varsity programs. Um, and, and that was, was another great learning experience. Uh, you know, practice planning, uh, uh, you know, the whole nine yards, um, in, in-game coaching, things like that. And, and the two of us really, it, it was, it, it was a great fit. I mean, and, and this, this other coach, our, our AD at the time, you know, the two of us are, are still incredibly close. Um, but it was like, neither of us really had an ego. It was, it was the perfect fit for two young basketball junkies. Um, you know, each one of us would, would stand every other game. Like there was no, you know, we weren't getting paid to do it. Right. It was, it, it was just, we wanted to be the coach. We had an incredible group of guys and, and it was, it was really a great learning experience for, for me, you know, so he's, he's not coaching anymore. Um, but I still look back on some of that stuff uh, about, how far I've grown as a coach and, and Ian, Ian Riddle. Um, I, I definitely owe a lot to him um, for, for helping me get where I am here. Yeah. I was curious about who was able to stand during the game. So I'm glad you. Uh, yeah, you it was, that. it was pretty funny. Our very first game. Um, right. So this is, it's a very small private school. Uh, 
you know, thing in the nicest way possible, things like winning accountability. Uh, it, it wasn't something that was in, in their culture. And the two of us that came in young 20 somethings fired up about winning, you know, doing things the right way. And I remember one of the administrators at the school looked at the two of us after our very first JV game and told us that the two of us, our antics on the sideline were more entertaining to watch than the game itself. Um, and so that's when we knew we, we had our work cut out for us, but, but yeah, like we just alternated games where someone would stand, you know, it was honestly one of the more selfish selfless things that I think I've been around in the profession, you know, neither one of us, like I said, neither one of us was getting paid to do it. We both just wanted to be there. Um, and, and so we put egos aside and uh and just had fun coaching basketball you led the team to the school's first two south carolina independent school association state tournament uh appearances in school history what yeah. type of you know you talk about being a basketball junkie what type of offenses did you run and how much zone was played at that level lots of zone <laughs> lots of zone and you know, it, it, it was really funny because one of our better players, God bless him, you know, I think his mom was 4'10 and his dad was maybe 5'4. Like, it was tough finding a good matchup for him. And so one reason why I am, I'm a big zone defense junkie, you know, whatever it is, one three one coming from Josh Passner last year in the matchup zone, uh, Kermit Davis and his one, three, one back to the two, three, all that stuff. You know, we threw the kitchen sink at teams. We'd run a two, three, we'd run a, a one, one, three, a matchup zone. Just that, that with the personnel we had, that was the way we were going to win basketball games. Um, you know, we didn't have a, a great shot blocker. You know, we, we weren't, you know, the quickest team to where, we could play great ball screen D and had some guy chipping or, or anything like that. So, so to answer your question, a lot of zone played. Um, as for offensively, a lot of five out, uh, five out, four around one. W one thing we were blessed with is is we we had three really great guards. Um, you know, we had one guy who. I want to say his sophomore junior year was was pretty damn close to to being part of the the 50 40 90 club. You know, I think he shot maybe 38% from 3 and he made the, you know, he was over 50% and and shot 92 or something like that from the foul line. We coached the kid who has the single game record um for scoring at 44 points. So offensively um, it was a lot more of us giving them uh, the mold and then just giving them practice, reading what defenses were giving them uh, and, and letting them go out making plays. In 2017, you moved on to the University of Pikeville uh, to be a graduate assistant. How did it feel from 
going, you're making a salary teaching, coaching high school to hitting the books and furthering your education? Man, I tell you, it was, it was real rough from going, going from giving homework to (laughs) getting homework. (laughs) That was a bit of a, of a reality shock. Um, You know, Pikeville, Kentucky, I, I had never heard of it, but before I, I got the job there, but the one thing that really sold me, uh, my buddy Ian, who I coached with in Pauly's Island, when I told him about Pikeville, he was like, oh, that's where, that's where, uh, KJ played. So, uh, a, a South Carolina kid, uh, Kenny Manigault, uh, I believe he went to Wichita state, um, he ended up transferring and played his last two years at the University of Pikeville. He was actually the NAI player of the year one year. And when Ian had said, oh yeah, you know, that's, that's where KJ played. It was like, okay, like I might, I maybe I've never been to Pikeville, maybe I've never heard of the place, but like, I know there's good basketball there. So I can suck up going back into the classroom. If, if coaching in college is really what I want to do. Um, and so I went to, went to Pikeville sight unseen, got back in the classroom and, and got my first shot, you know, being around college, college basketball. You know, talk about working for uh, coach Wells and, you know, I, I saw the bears made back-to-back NAI national tournament uh, appearances. You guys are the mid South conference champions in uh, 2017, 18. Yeah, I'm curious. Looking back on it, how many of those teams in the league could have played at the low Division One or mid-major Division One level? Eas- easily four teams. Easily four teams. I mean, you know, part of it is the difference in recruiting rules with the NAIA and the NCAA. You know, there were like there were some grown men that that were playing in the mid-south you know guys that were 22 23 24 like there were a lot more when I was there a lot more transfers whether it be d1 transfers juco kids because a lot of times the high school kids that were talented enough to compete in the mid-south were not going to a mid-south conference school they were you know going to a mid-major school because you know, they were able to get that type of recruitment. Um, but yeah, you know, Pikeville for sure. Georgetown, absolutely. Um, Cumberland's Kentucky, definitely. Uh, you know, life down in Georgia had some great teams. Um, like we, we had some hoopers for sure. Uh, and, and that was, I mean, every, every night was a dogfight. Every night was a dogfight, and that's what made it, you know, such great basketball. I mean, in my two years there, I think anywhere from three to five teams were ranked in the top 25 poll, you know, every, every week. Um, you know, and, and that it really opened my eye to basketball outside the Division One level. Um, you know, it's like I said, I'm, I'm fairly confident that – that those teams could have, could have beaten, you know, low major schools. I mean, bef- I think it was maybe three years before I got there, 
in 2014, Pikeville had an exhibition game at Tennessee. And if my memory serves me correct, they lost by single digits. And the current head coach there, Ty Compton, I remember him telling me when I got there, and he goes, yeah, man, Benji, if, if, if we had a five man, I think we would have won that game. So like really, really good basketball. You know, I saw that you were also the head coach for the JV team at, at U-Pike, led them to the 2018 uh, JV championship. You know, as somebody who coached club basketball uh, in college, I'm curious, how much scouting and film breakdown was there for the JV program? And was it more watching yourself if there was even film available or were you watching other teams if you could get a hold of film? Yeah, so so (laughs) there there really was no uh, film watching um, as you know, as far as scouting other opponents, it was, it was a lot more focusing on ourselves. Um, Not every school in the mid South had a JV program. Um, So in addition to playing those other schools, uh, you know, we would play like some local prep schools or, you know, uh, like Taze Valley in West Virginia. and so it really was a lot more just focusing on us. I mean, we would only practice with the guys once, maybe twice a week, uh, depending on when we could get gym time in. Um, so it, it really was just focus on us. You know, can we do our job in the game? Um, and then, you know, make, make adjustments on the fly. I read it. You also were named the graduate assistant coach of the year uh, for U Pike. Who nominated you? And, and did you make a speech at that award ceremony? <laughs> uh, no speech. Um, don't know how I was nominated. Um, I know that Coach Wells was not pleased with the picture that that was up there. I think it was like they used some picture of us cheering after a win we had at the national tournament. And I don't, I guess he, he, he made some comment about it uh, when I came up to, to get my word. Cause he was also serving as the athletic director at the time. Um, so that was, that was a, a special moment to be able to, to get that from him. Um, you know, that was my second year. So I was on the way out, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it, it was, uh, do I, I don't know if I, yeah, I do have it right here. Um, nice, nice, nice reminder of, of my time there in Pikeville. The following season, you're an assistant coach at Maine Maritime Academy. What was coaching at the service academy level like, especially at a D3? Yeah, so we had a couple guys on the team that were uh, – you know, involved with the service part of the school. Um, and it was definitely, it was, it was a, a great experience, I think, to be a part of and to see that, you know, everyone involved, uh, you know, I'd be out running in the mornings and they would be out there raising the flag on campus, um, marching, going through uh, their morning drills, 
Um, and, you know, I had never been around anything like that. So I, I thought it was a pretty neat, neat experience. And, and everyone at the school was very, whether they were involved with uh, the service side or, or not, was uh, very attentive, very respectful of it. It was, it was really a great environment. Good stuff. You know, if being a college basketball coach wasn't keeping you busy enough, you, know, you found time to serve as a member of the digital content team for Rising Coaches. How tough is it to juggle both duties? Um, you know, it, 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 I don't think it was, but I, I also really enjoy working with the people at Rising Coaches. Um you know, I would not be here today without them. Uh, you know, I, I've got to give everyone involved there uh, from Adam Gordon, Andy Farrell, all those guys, uh, what they do for uh, networking for young coaches in the profession is, is huge. Um, I got in touch with Coach Wells and the Pikeville crew uh, through rising coaches. Um, Coach Farrell knew uh, the rising co uh, knew Kelly Wells well and and was able to recommend me that you know that's how I got an interview there um, and so when I had the opportunity to give back and help uh, the rising coaches community from that digital content side making graphics or whatever for events social media um, more than willing to jump jump at the new opportunity How rewarding was it to give back to rising coaches? You know, I'm sure that the organization, like you just said, helped you, uh, you know, dramatically in your career, uh, you know, to be able to give back to an organization that's given you so much, you know, talk about that. Oh, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I, I remember going to my first rising coaches conference um, and to think, you know, from, there to now uh it's it's just it's really a, a great feeling um like i said what they do for connecting people in the coaching profession i think is is invaluable and to think that i've played you know in a tiny tiny part in in helping them achieve that goal uh, you know, that's what this is all about, right? You know, so many times this, this profession, and I'm sure it's not just basketball, but other sports, you know, it's, it's viewed as, as very cutthroat, um, and, and rising coaches really does an incredible job at sort of pulling back the curtain, making people that younger coaches maybe hold on a pedestal seem more approachable, um, and so, like I said, to be able to help them achieve those goals and, and continue to do what they do for the coaching community, uh, as I, like I said, absolutely jumped at the opportunity to help them out. You moved back down south, uh, accepting a position at Georgia Tech. How did you get connected with Coach Passner and the Yellow Jacket basketball program? Yeah, so 
I met Coach Pastner at the Jewish Coaches Convention a while back at the Final Four. And big part of my journey, it has been letter writing. Um, you know, I've got a stack of letters that I keep on my desk from everyone. I've got one here from uh, Coach Donahue at Penn, you know, from Coach Martelli at Michigan, Coach Pastner, uh, you know, guys at the NAI level. I've got a note here from a good friend who's an assistant at Huntington. Uh, that's been a big part of my journey. And I would just write to Coach Pastner, um, you know, at the high holidays, you know, after a big win, you know, things like that. And to anyone listening, I will say it is true. Josh Pastner responds to everybody. Um, and so he kind of knew who I was. And before COVID uh, shut down the final four that year, because it was going to be in Atlanta, I was actually set to, to meet with him. You know, we were going to go out and get coffee. Um, I knew I wanted something more than just where, than, than where I was with Maine Maritime. Um, but when COVID shut down the final four, I pretty much sent out a blast email to every coach that, in the country at the division one level. You know, I was told my in was going to be what I was able to do with Photoshop and graphics. Um, and one of the people that got back to me uh, was Eric Reveno, the associate head coach at, at Georgia Tech. And when I mentioned to him that Coach Pastner sort of on the fringe knew who I was, we started to have some more serious conversations. Like Coach Reveno was able to ask Coach Pat, and it's like, okay, this, this guy is serious. Like, we, you know, um, and, and it was just able to work out. You know, they had a graduate assistant who, who was graduating, who handled all of their like recruiting graphics, social media, digital content like that. And he wasn't interested in staying in the profession. He's, you know, he's got a real world job right now in marketing, doing that stuff. Um, and so it was, it was really just a perfect storm of good timing where he was leaving. Uh, and I was able to come in and, and fill this role for them. And having had a relationship with coach Passner in, in the past, it was, I mean, it was an absolute no brainer to go down there. You guys had great success on the recruiting trails. You recruited uh, multiple top 150 guys, secured a top 30 2021 recruiting class during your time there. What was your process for designing graphics? And how vital has it become to have outstanding graphic design and, and creative content in college athletics? I mean, I think it's, I, th I think especially now with NIL, um, is, is huge, but especially at a place like Georgia Tech, I mean, the content creation that they're able to do being in Atlanta, um, it's, it's, it's vital to, to recruiting, um, you know, and, and so I think, I think that is why I was able to get there because it was such a big need for them. Um, and, you know, we would, the, the way we kind of did it is we, we had like these different, you know, we, we would do a, like a magazine segment. And so 
we would create like sports illustrated covers with the recruit on it and, and highlighting different information about them. We would do graphics with them, you know, on Atlanta billboards. And, and I think that is, is huge because we were able to, our, our assistants were able to send things out to these recruits so often. Um, and like I said, at a school like Georgia Tech in Atlanta, I mean, man, the, the, the content you can create there is, is just unbelievable. Yeah, I'm curious because you also helped with the travel operations at Georgia Tech. Was it easier at a place with those kind of resources or in a way was it easier at the small college basketball level? You know, I, so I think it was a little easier there. I, you know, I came into it and, and everyone on staff there at Georgia Tech was, was unbelievable knowing that, right, I was brought in to help with the digital content creation, but everyone there knew that I, you know, I wanted to be a coach. So, like, it was really great. Their ops, like, I was able to go to them on, on game days and, you know, help out their managers and, and GAs with anything they had, um, you know, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that they let me get my hands on any facets of the program, you know, setting up the, the home team locker room or, you know, especially with the COVID year, like benches spaced out and, and everyone having, the, you know, their own separate bin and, and just little things like that, that I was able to take off of, of other people's plates. Um, I, I think that definitely helped sort of step into the role where I am now. You know, the team wins its first ACC championship since 93 during your time there. How wild was that ACC tournament in Greensboro? And, and what do you remember most about that run? Yeah, sure. So winning the ACC championship, I mean, I, I was there for, for the end, you know, um, there was so much work beforehand that, that went into that, that that entire staff deserves credit for, um, you know, the development of players like a Jose Alvarado, like a Moses Wright, um, their player development that they have at Georgia Tech from, from every facet of the program is just so high level, you know, the, even in the weight room. Um, so, so people see that ACC win last year, but there was, from what I heard, and, and I certainly believe it, you know, there was, there were some long nights uh, to, to get to that point. And, and I'm beyond grateful and fortunate that I was able to be there and, and experience that. I mean, it's, it's, it's an unreal feeling. Um, and, you know, to, to see guys like, like a Jose Alvarado who just started a game for the Pelicans at point guard, you know, last week, um, you know, a guy like Moses Wright who had a division two offer coming out of college, like outside of his Georgia tech offer, um, you know, it's pretty rewarding to, 
to prove other people wrong, but I think it's even more re- rewarding proving yourself right. And I think that's what that winning the ACC championship last year meant to a lot of, of those people on staff who were brought in right when, when Coach Passner was hired. Uh, you know, proving that they, they did do things the right way, did things the way they wanted to, the way they knew they could win. Um, and like I said, I'm just forever going to be grateful for the opportunity they gave me uh, to be a small part of, uh, of making history there. You talked about earlier, you really had the itch to, you know, get on the floor and coach basketball instead of primarily uh, creating content. How many schools did you reach out to and, and how much of a pay cut? I know you said they were able to kind of put together a position for you. How much of a pay cut did you have to make going from the ACC to the Big South? <laughs> so it's, it's funny, right? So, so I just had, I was like a GA kind of stipend. So this was actually a, a step up for me salary wise um, coming, coming here to, to PC, but you know, it was, it was all about the opportunity, right? You know, like I said, when I was an assistant up in Maine, I kid you not when I say, I think I emailed every single division one staff in the country um probably heard back from eight percent of the people but i was very fortunate with the eight percent i heard back from um you know it's it's all about putting yourself out there you know i've gotten to know you well enough uh you know i feel comfortable asking you this how difficult was it to accept a job at Radford on, on Darius Nichols first coaching staff uh, and then have to back out, especially for a job in the same conference? Yeah, that was, that was really interesting. Um, so, so as you allude to uh, coach Pastner was really great in the spring at, you know, after the season ended NCAA tournament finishes you know, he, he really knew my intention was to be a coach and we sat down and talked and, and pretty quickly came to the fact that like, all right, got a year in the ACC, learned a lot of stuff from the X's and O's standpoint, but it was time for me to go, go find something else. And the ops, uh, the ops guy at, at Georgia tech, Tyler Benson, um, was close with the guys who are at Radford now. Uh, and so that's how I was put in contact with them. Um, and so, so I, I did accept their, their player development position. Uh, and, and first thing I'll say is everyone there, you know, I know it's the same conference and, and we've got a game against them here in a couple of weeks, but everyone there treated me like family for, for the 10 days I was there, you know, coach Nichols, was was unbelievable um and and everyone else on staff there and their players you know treated me like family right away i have no doubt that that i would have loved my time there um you know it just this opportunity here at pc with coach farrell uh came along um and and i have to to give coach nichols credit um 
when I sort of told him about this, uh, without hesitation, he said, oh, you got to take that. Um, and, and to me, that shows that, that he's a guy who, who understands the profession, understands a young coach trying to make his way up the ladder. Um, and so I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm grateful to the op for the opportunity he was going to give me. Um, and, you know, outside of when we play them, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to, to, to still be have a good, still be able to have a good relationship with that staff. Um, I think one thing that helped him Pete there, uh, he had done something very similar to me where he had taken a job and, you know, Darius got the job there at Radford. And so when I told the staff about the ops job here at PC that opened up, um, he sort of sent me a text and was like, Hey, you know, if anyone knows it, it's, it's me. Um, good luck. And, and so I think it went about as smooth as possible. It, it happened very quick. Um, the previous director of operations here had left to take a job. And I know coach Farrell was looking to, to move things quickly, uh, you know, needed ops here over the summer with summer workouts going on guys being on campus so that him and the other assistants, uh, could get out on the road recruiting. Um, so it, it did happen very quickly. Uh, but I think it was about as smooth as it, it possibly could have been. Coach Farrell hires you, uh, you know, for the full-time position at PC. How familiar were you two uh, with each other? Uh, and, and how excited were you to be back in Palmetto State? Oh, thrilled to be back in South Carolina. Um, I, I got connected with Coach Farrell back when I was in Pauley's Island. Um, I actually made a couple recruiting graphics for him uh, for – a couple of guys who are on the team right now. Um, so funny how that goes full circle. Uh, but the two of us had communicated maybe once or twice during the season over the years. Um, there had been a couple times where we had broached the subject of me maybe joining his staff here at PC as a volunteer video coordinator. Um, so we, we, we're familiar a little bit with each other. Uh, you know, so when he gave me the call, um, between it being full-time, being back in a state where I was a high school coach and know some of the, still knew the high schools, uh, working for a coach that, that I had a previous relationship with, um, it, it really was a no-brainer to, to stay yes and, and come back to a place that feels, feels like home. From the outside looking in, PCs appears to be one of the tougher D1 jobs in the country. Being around the program at practice and the game, you guys seem to use it as a chip on your shoulder. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think that's I think that's how we win games. You know, if you look at any game we've won this season, you know, we're killing teams on on the offensive rebounds, you know we're winning 50, 50 balls, um, playing with that chip on our shoulder, uh, is, is how we're going to win. You know, we had a team meeting early on in the year and 
And Coach Farrell reiterated that point to everyone, you know, players, staff, we're, we're all here for a reason. Um, you know, and it gets back to what I said about Georgia Tech. Like there's, there's something to be said about proving other people wrong, but proving yourself right is, is an incredible feeling. And I think we all carry that chip on our shoulder. Um, and, and I think that's what makes us such a close, close knit family here, the men's basketball team. And, and I think that's really the edge that we bring to the table to help us win games. Coach Farrell seems like a really, really good coach. From being around him on a day-to-day basis, what's he best at? Oh, he, he, he's, he's unbelievable. I, I mean, let's, let's get that out there, you know, from, from the get-go. But one thing, you know, my biggest takeaway from the year, like he's got an incredible basketball mind. Um, for, from an X's and O's standpoint, uh, you know, not just drawing up plays or calling this set and that set, but like calling a play to get a specific player, a specific shot where they feel comfortable on the floor. I mean, his ability to make in-game adjustments, call a timely play. Like, I mean, from an X's and O's standpoint, I've just been learning so much from him with what we do on a day-to-day basis. And, and I think, I think he's second to none in this profession uh, on that. You know, at the time we're recording this, it's the middle of Big South play. You guys just ended a five-game losing stint. What's your impression of the league been like so far? I think it's a very competitive league, you know, top to bottom. Our, you know, right, so like I said, at the timing of recording this, we just beat Charleston Southern, ended a five-game skid. But our two games previous, we lost to the top two teams in the conference by combined three points. And so, I mean, I think I think it's a really competitive conference this year. And I think it's, you know, my biggest takeaway is that it's shaping up to be an incredible conference tournament in Charlotte. Right. Being being a one bid league, everyone's trying to play their best basketball here, you know, in what, six weeks, something like that. And I think what you've seen so far with the games um, is that it's going to be an incredible conference tournament. You know, there's been very few blowouts, lots of overtime games, lots of single digit point games. Um, And so I think that's that's one thing that's making it special. You know, Uh, one of our assistants, um, Coach Tank, who, who you're very familiar with, was mentioning this morning uh, I think Ken Palm had, it's like our margin of defeat or victory, however you want to put it as a conference is like top five smallest in division one college basketball so far this season. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's really anybody's, anybody's, anybody's uh, uh, game on any given night. And, and so, like I said, conference tournament in Charlotte is going to be, is going to be some really good basketball. Yeah, it'll be interesting in Charlotte uh, with no true home court advantage uh, to see yeah. what team comes out victorious. I, th- I think Tom was also mentioning, like, we have the fewest home conference wins of any conference uh, in the country right now. Wow. 
Um, you know, so that just goes to, goes to show, you know, again, time of this recording, we play UNC Asheville tomorrow. They, they're shooting the lights out of the ball. Uh, and, and they just got held to 55 points on their home court. You know, Gardner Webb beat them by six. So like, it's, it's really a toss up and you just, you have to be able to bring your a game for, for 40 minutes. You guys have a relatively small coaching staff for the D1 level. How helpful has that been as far as being active in so many different aspects of the program, especially with the rules being changed this past offseason where, you know, you could be on the floor uh, working guys out? Uh, you know, I think I think it's a benefit and a curse, right? I, there's There's obviously a lot to do, so it's got to be all hands on deck. But for someone in my position, I think it's – it's been, you know, more of a blessing um, because I am able to get my hands on a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, Coach Farrell gives me uh, video coordinator responsibilities, right? There's things that I need to clip going into team meetings after a game that he shows the team. Um, you know, I've been working with, with Tom, you know, he's to, to help scout like out-of-bounds plays, Um for for teams uh so again as as a younger coach trying to navigate my way in this profession i think having a smaller staff has been has been really great because everyone has been great about letting me get my hands on 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 all parts of the program random question i'm curious are we sure that josh pastor and ted lasso are not the same person I tell you, it's not an act. Like, like that is Josh Passner. He is full of energy 24-7, loves what he does, loves the sport of basketball. Um, you know, it's it, it's really incredible to be around, you know. It when he he's not on any kind of social media. Um, so you know, last year when everyone was making a big deal about his face shield, he, he had no idea. <laughs> right. And so it was pretty funny. Um, I think Titus and Tate's podcast, he won like, uh, you know, makeover of the year or something, you know, ridiculous like that. And they actually had him on to accept his award wearing the face shield. Uh, so, you know, to, to anyone listening, it's like, that's, that's not an act. Like he just, he loves his team. He loves the sport of basketball and he loves Georgia tech 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, we've come to everybody's favorite segment, start bench cut, give you three things, start one bench one and cut one. Okay. Nike Adidas under armor. Uh, I got to say, start, you know, and we are in Adidas school, but start Nike, bench Adidas, cut Under Armour. With I love the it. caveat, with the caveat that the Adidas boost is the world's greatest shoe to coach in. Most comfortable thing you can be wearing on your feet for a two, three hour practice. You are the first coach to finally say, a brand that they are not sponsored by. I, I, I respect the hell out of that, man. 
<laughs> you know, but I give me give me, give me Nike, but but give me Adidas Boost. I, I, I'll take an Adidas Boost over a flying it any day of the week. Okay, that's fair. He got game blue chips, Jawana man. How? I'm gonna. I gotta start. He got game. Uh, maybe bench blue chips. Cut Joanna, man. Okay, Bojangles cookout Chick Fil A. Ooh. I say this with us having just had cookout milkshakes a couple nights ago from a road win, but I think I got to go start Chick-fil-A. Bench, Bojangles, cut, cookout. Okay. Last one, hoop dirt, verbal commits, transfer portal. (laughs) Hoop dirt, transfer portal, verbal commits. I like it. It's really funny. My my mom thinks hoop dirt is just the funniest thing ever. You know, she she thinks it's like this soap opera, and she goes and checks it every day. It's it's <laughs> uh, it's honestly really funny to get texts from her about it. I'm glad I have not told my parents about hoop dirt because they would be texting me about jobs that. I either have zero chance at or have known that, you know, it's been open for months. And they'll say, hey, have you looked on Indeed for any college basketball coaching jobs? <laughs> Clearly just not understanding the business. Yeah, yeah. Not how that works. Yeah. Coach, who are three guests I should have on the podcast? Three guests that you should have on the podcast. Um, so first... I'm going to say Corky McMullen. He is the head boys basketball coach at Midwest City in Oklahoma City. Um, He has been around the college ranks, uh, support staff at Rutgers under Mike Rice and Eddie Jordan. He was the head coach at his alma mater, Houghton College in New York. Um, Someone I would say is one of my closest mentors, and, and I think he's one of the best teachers of the game out there a lot of things that i do i still take advice that he gave me um so i'd say that's one guest that i think one your listeners maybe don't know about but i think could give some really great knowledge for your listeners um both about the profession and the game of basketball so i'd say him um Mark, Mark Schultz. Yeah. So he is an assistant at center college in Kentucky. Uh, very good friend. Um, met through the summer camp circuit, working at Dayton, uh, played D three basketball at Wittenberg, um, has been a Juco coach, uh, been at the D two level, real good guy complete basketball junkie. Um, And then a third guy, I would say, no, you know, 
I would say Patrick Gale. He's the head coach at at Albany State, uh, uh, Division II HBCU in Georgia. Um, he's done an unbelievable job with the program there. And, I mean, the guy has a, a work ethic that's second to none. I mean, a- absolutely, absolute grinder. Really, really incredible guy. And like I said, he's done – did a great job at his previous school. He's doing a fantastic job now at, uh, at Albany State. Um, I think he would be a really great guest to have as well. Coach, what advice do you have for coaches trying to get into the business or work their way up the ranks, especially those who didn't necessarily play at the college level? Yeah, um, I, I would say two things. First, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. There's going to be a, a, a yes amidst all the no's, but no one's going to advocate for you until you advocate for yourself. Right. Just, you know, like I said, letter writing has been a huge part of my journey. There's a lot of coaches that don't write back to me, but the ones that do, I've formed unbelievable relationships with. Um, So that's the first thing I would say, advocate, don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. And then two, find your niche, right? I didn't play, but I taught myself Photoshop when I was at Pikeville and that was my in, right? And now in the world of name, image, and likeness, that is becoming uh, a necessity to have someone on staff who can do that digital content, who can make those recruiting graphics. You know, that was, that was the niche that I found. That's what really separated me, right? Because everyone is going to have a good work ethic. Everyone's going to know different ways to, to play ball screen defense, right? Those are requirements, right? If you don't know how to attack a 2-3 zone, there are resources out there. That basketball knowledge is a prerequisite. What's your niche? What's your one or two things that's going to separate you, especially if you didn't play, that's going to separate you and make you stand out? Um, right when I was emailing all those Division One schools after my year at Maine Maritime, I embedded a graphic that I made in the email. Right. So these coaches didn't have to click a link. They didn't have to download a resume, but bam, right there. They saw an unbelievable recruiting graphic that they could send out to their kids. Then they started to read my email. So those would be the two things I would say. Advocate for yourself. Find find your niche, find what's going to separate you. Good stuff. Coach, if listeners want to get in touch with you, email, social media, what have you, what, what's the best way? Uh, yeah. Um, social media at coach Tanoff, Twitter and Instagram, um, email, uh, at gmail.com would love to help anyone listening. If there's some way I could, um, and then, uh, I have my uh, personal website linked both on my Twitter and Instagram. Um, 
please go check it out. I have all the, the graphics that I've made throughout the years at Pikeville, Maine, Georgia Tech, here at PC. Um, if there's anyone out there who needs Photoshop help, take a look, happy to do it, happy to talk basketball, how I've you know, made sure to you know, continue to be a basketball coach and not be you know, a graphic designer. Good stuff. Coach, appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you having me on today. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.